And we serve a good God. Satan tries to tell you he's a bad God and he's an angry God and he's just going to cause you to do all kind of strange stuff. We serve a good God. Hallelujah. We want to talk tonight for a few minutes about God's offering. If you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Normally, Dr. K would be ministering tonight, but she's standing for healing. So continue to lift her up. Let's don't make any bad confessions over it. Let's just agree for a healing. Lift her up. God's got some things to say for us tonight in Genesis chapter 22. We want to restart reading at verse 4. This, of course, is a familiar passage. God's offering. God's offering. Verses 4 through 8. It says, Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I will, and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood and the, of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son... God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them, together. He lifted up his eyes and saw afar off that place. What place was he looking at? He saw that mountaintop of Golgotha. In his mind's eye, he saw the very place where Jesus would hang on the cross and the Holy Spirit would slay him for God. Rome didn't slay the Lord. The Jews didn't kill Christ. I heard a man say one time, Jew killed Christ. And this was an ungodly man. And I thought, what in the world difference does it make to you? The Holy Ghost slew Christ. He hung him on the cross. And he was the sacrifice. And I, Abraham looked and he saw the place of the skull. And he saw the place where the cross would lay. You see, God establishes grades of offerings in his, in his plan. In the Old Testament, you have all kinds of offerings being offered up. God is, God is offering this and he's offering that. Various kinds of offerings are established there. There were offerings that would atone for sin in a life. A person who had sinned, there was a way for them to get that sin covered up so that at least they could live with the thing. They didn't, they didn't know what you felt. They can't feel what you feel. They died only having the promise of God. But there was a, an avenue for them to be, to, for that sin to be covered over to where nobody could see it anymore. There were offerings to get back into fellowship with your, with your fellow man if you had wounded somebody. Even in the Old Testament, you didn't have the right to stay angry with somebody. Let alone in the New Testament. Woe be to the Christian 
who harbors ill will and against somebody for year after year after year, that thing will consume. It will consume the very being of that person until they're nothing but a walking shell. There was ways back for the Old Testament person. There were ways that they could just come to God in an offering situation and make that offering and say, Oh God, I worship you. I worship you. We're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for the answer. But in the meantime, I know that I can give you this offering and just worship and praise you. And there was an offering for that praise. All kind of ways to get their mind back to God. Give me a smile. Everybody smile. Okay. <laughs> just, that, that had nothing to do with the lesson. I just want to keep you loose. There was ways to praise God. There was ways to worship God, ways to get back into fellowship with man. God established grades in that. God allowed functions to come into these people's lives that would cause them to be drawn to the need to go to the temple and make a sacrifice. And that's what they had to do. The head of the family had to go in there and he had to physically take that lamb and he had to hold it. He had to hold it. But before he could get through even into the, into the gate, into the temple, you had to follow him back about three days because he would buy that lamb and it had to be a perfect lamb. They understood the perfect sacrifice that the Messiah would give. And they just didn't rush down and buy a lamb and Slay it. They had, to, they had to take that home and that lamb home and, and live with it in the house for the three days. And they had to pet it and feed it and keep it clean and, and, and live with the thing. And then the, the head of the house had to take it down and hold it by the head as the priest held the basin and slit its throat. And they did this for hundreds of years and, and millions and millions of lambs. And they understood that when they, when they brought this lamb to God, that for whatever their need was, if it was for an atonement to their sin, for the covering of that sin, or if it was to get back in fellowship with the person as, after they had spoken to them, they gave that to God and a thank offering to God. Say, Lord, thank you for your blessings. Or because of they were worshiping the Lord or praising the Lord, that offering meant something to them. And God gave this into the life so that they would know. I'm telling you, the offerings of God are never to be taken lightly. Never to be taken lightly. Let's don't ever give God anything. What did David say? David said, I don't give God the, the residue out of my pockets. I don't give God the junk that I carry around. He says, I don't give God anything that costs me nothing. Can I tell you that you can't give God anything, first of all, until you give him yourself and you're worth something. What your worth is that it costs God, the prince of heaven, to purchase you back. You go into this thing being worth something. Hallelujah. I'm worth something. Man, I might not come from the best pedigree. They wouldn't have let me into the front door in a lot of places when I was growing up. I didn't have any money to carry around in my pocket. I had to work for it. But praise God, when I came to him, man, I was worth something. I knew what I was in Christ because he planted that in my spirit. And he let me know that there was a sacrifice 
of God. Hallelujah. God sacrificed and he made functions in my life so that I could know just how much I made meant to him. What I could mean to him. And their sacrifices, their sacrifices meant something. It wasn't the fact that they led that little bleeding sheep down there and slid its throat. Every, every time that person went by the house dragging that sheep on all fours, Every time they walked by somebody's door, somebody would say, hey, there goes a righteous man. There goes a man who can't operate in his own strength. Look at, look at him. He, he's out there blessing his family. He, that's a man who fears God. That's a man who's afraid of God. That, that shows a man who's yielded to the Holy Spirit. You see, that testimony as he carried that lamb was visible to the people around him. Can I tell you, your testimony packs weight. People look at your life. People you don't even recognize are looking at you and saying, is he really, is she really, are they what they seem? When if I have a problem, will they turn against me if I reach out to them? You've got to operate outside of your flesh. That's what the Holy Ghost demands that you do. The Holy Spirit of God demands that you never operate within your flesh. If you do, you will sin at some point and you'll cause a person to go to hell and the Bible says their blood will be upon our hands. Now if that's happened, don't live underneath it. There's an offering for that. How many, how many people have I been responsible for wounding that I can never go back to them and say I'm sorry? You mean I'm supposed to walk around in sackcloth and ashes and no more joy in my spirit? Absolutely not. I take my offering into the throne room of God and say, Father, in Jesus' name, forgive me for I have sinned. And then His Word in his word, he is honor bound to do that for me. And I walk out of that place with a joy in my heart and the wellspring flowing up and out of my river, my belly flowing rivers of living water. And I know what Paul meant. I've wronged no man. I've wronged no man because I've made the sacrifice of God for it. A testimony yielded the heart to God. That offering represents something to God and represents something to you. It's through our offering that the world sees God in me and in you. Say, I'll just live it before him. That's wonderful. That's what we're supposed to do. But it goes along with sharing and telling and doing, giving somebody if nothing more than just a cup of water, sharing that need with that person and that care and that love that we read the first uh, Corinthians uh, chapters about a while ago a little preface in there as we were in prayer and it says without love it doesn't make any difference what else you do it, all, of, all of it is just pizzazz if it's not grounded in love it's got to be in love and then he says then you can look at your offerings and God will allow people to see you people can, people can forgive anything in your life if they know that you love them They'll understand that, that you made a mistake. If you'll go back and say, man, I blew it. I'm so sorry I wounded you. I'm sorry I didn't do this. I love you and I really do and please forgive me. I'll, I'll make it up to you any way that I can. That's love. 
That's love. When wounded, don't retaliate. God will undergird you. He'll hold you up. He'll fight your battles. All you have to do is make the sacrifice. Make the sacrifice. Something then and something now has to be offered in the sacrificial area. In the Old Testament, they, they couldn't understand, like I said, what you can know. All the thing that they knew was that they took something that was animal down to the temple and they sacrificed it. Or they took something that was vegetable. They threw a little flower on the, on the altar, on the burnt altar there. Or they took something that was mineral and burnt the thing, a little incense and all this. And that was what they could know. And that's all that they could know. Because it wasn't given to them to know. It's given unto you to know. But we who are on this side of the veil, we are who are on this side of the cross. We don't bring those material things to God. Only we come out of our heart. That's why I told you a while ago, it doesn't make any difference if you give a penny or a, a million dollars to God after you've given him his tithe. After you've given him his tithe. God can cause you to live like a king. He can multiply money to you. He can multiply goods to you. He can cause you. He's still the same God that caused the shoes not to fade on the Israelites in the desert. You think that God's changed any? He's still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore that he always was. This, this garment here, he can cause this thing to last for uh, eternity if he wishes to. I don't, believe, I don't believe Jesus has changed clothes in 2,000 years. <laughs> Some of you women went, Oop. I believe he's still wearing the same garment that the Holy Ghost closed him in when he was reinstituted. His heavenly realm clothes. I believe old Enoch still walking around in the same sandals and robe that he was wearing 3,000 years ago. <laughs> no B.O. No B.O. in heaven. Hallelujah. Talk about being eternally cool. The day generation don't know anything yet about being cool in Jesus. But they, they in, the, in the New Testament, we take the, the material things out of our heart and give them to God. We take the mental things that we have, and that's our sacrifice to God. We take those things which are spiritual and give God spiritual sacrifices. We're created to make spiritual sacrifices. That's why it doesn't make any difference to God if you, if you give him... Whatever. You give somebody a couch. You're not giving somebody a couch. You're giving somebody a measure of love. If you give somebody money, you're not giving them money. You're giving them a measure of sacrifice. If you give somebody whatever their need is, you are not giving them what they represents. What you hold is not what you're giving. What you're holding is what's coming out of your heart. It is your sacrifice. It's representative of your sacrifice. We don't give like they did. They in the Old Testament, they only understood painting the body and wounds and afflictions and making the, the body, the flesh, do something for God. We in the New Testament can only... Flesh stinks in the mouth, in the nostrils of God in the New Testament. Only that which comes out of the heart pleases God in the New Testament. That's all that pleases God. And God was laying, since, since Adam fell, 
and started teaching the, the salvation Messiah story to Cain and Abel. And since he, the, the message that Cain and, or that Abel heard, and Cain and Abel heard from, from Adam and Eve, was the creation story, sure. But they heard about the promised Messiah and that all of the covering of God was just a, was just a figure of what was coming. That somewhere down the line, as they waited on God, he would perform that perfect sacrifice in his eyes that would make it all worthwhile. He was laying the foundation for that perfect sacrifice. Rome, uh, Revelation 13 calls Jesus the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That means before the foundation of the world. The Trinity of God. How many of you know what the Trinity is? Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Yet like you preach to us, those are one and they perfectly agree. Absolutely. There's no way that we can divide the Father from the Son from the Holy Spirit. They are indivisible in their intent and purpose and commitment. And yet the Trinity knew that through the perfect sacrifice that God would allow man to fellowship with God. And there was no way to do that on the other side of the Calvary. Abraham, that's part of what Abraham saw. There was no way that the world could be fashioned or made or maintained in its completeness on that side of the cross. The Trinity understood that sin could be justified as if it had not happened on this side of the cross. They didn't understand that as just as though it didn't happen. Abraham only understood that there was a way for a covering and his lineage understood that it's just as if God had taken his, his covering utensil, had lifted up that sin and placed the sin underneath it. The sin was there, but you couldn't see it anymore. But praise God, in the New Testament, he jerks it away and there's nothing there anymore. He's put it behind him, never to be remembered anymore. Just as if it had never happened. Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus' life could be accepted as the Savior of the world. When, when the angel came to Mary, and he says, you're not going to call his name Josephus or John or, or anything else. He says, you're going to call his name Jesus. Jesus! Yahshua, Yahshua, the helper of Yah, or Jehovah, his salvation would be a fuller rendering of it. This is the one who's the Jehovah of salvation. He told Mary, you are blessed. It's you who are going to bring this perfect sacrifice through you into the world. Abraham was seeing that. He couldn't put a name to it, but he understood what the prophecy would say. Have you ever had a loved one that you knew shortly was going to go away? You can start finding empathy with the, tri with the Trinity about this thing. War brings separation. 
You see, you see the Navy wives as they stand on the dock and they weep as their husbands go off to, for six months at sea. I first became aware of the hurt and the pain in World War II as I would watch the men leave our neighborhood and they would hang the star, the red star in the window. And as long as it was red star, you knew that there was a certain amount of pain there, but if you ever walked by and saw a gold star, you know that there was terrible pain because that one had been lost in action. And there was always that fear around. You're seeing a little bit of what God felt in his totality, looking down the eons of time before the world was ever created and knew that his son would have to hang on Calvary. And he waited for that moment. He was waiting for that moment. Parents feel the fear about their children as they grow and, and when they're little around your, around your feet. My mother used to have a saying that when they're, when they're around your legs, they tug at your apron strings. They wore aprons. I don't know what you women wear anymore. I don't see too many women now wearing aprons. Not too many of them cook. I don't guess you need those in microwave ovens, do you? <laughs> <laughs> when they're little, she said, they tug at your apron strings, but when they get old, they tug at your heart strings. And I couldn't understand that. I didn't know what she was talking about. Oh, I knew what the phrase meant, you know. But it, to me, it was just a saying until I had my own kids. Until they grew up, man, and you've been there by the crib when the little head was burning up. And you've been there when, in the sleepless nights when you were the only one, you and your wife, and there was nobody else there. I'm telling you, children never understand until you get to be parents you or your own of what mamas and daddies go through just to get them up. And the pain, as you, as you realize that at some point they're going to go out, there'll come that time as it did in my life. And it seems to come so quickly when I took my son down to put him on the bus to go, he'd join the service and to go off. And I told him, I, I said, son, there's a million things or a thousand things I wish I could tell you, but I don't have time. I don't have time. And to see him go off, that's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. You're catching what the feeling that the Trinity felt. We feel pain over the, over the ones who goes away from us because they're part of us. They're, they're integral part of us. They're flesh of our flesh. We're bound together. And the heart of God was grieved just knowing that the world and man would have to, to receive this, this sacrifice of his Christ, the death of Jesus, so that all the things that God wanted to happen could come to place. And that was before he ever created the first, before he ever spoke the first piece of heaven and then the first piece of the universe, and then the first vegetation, and especially the first man, all of that was lingering in the heart of God. And as Abraham looked at the, at the mouth and saw Jesus hanging there in, in, in a vision, the heart of God had seen him hanging there too before there was anything except God. And God had to wait for the sacrifice of Christ until certain things happened on earth. We don't know how long that was. We don't know how long there was just God before he ever started creating. We don't understand that. The scriptures only give us bits and pieces about those kinds of things. And he had to wait 
for a man who would believe him enough to accept what his promise would be because there was no way back. There was only the promise. God had to wait for a man who would just take him at face value for what he said to him. When he said, this is what the sacrifice will do, God was looking for that man who would do that. For a way to find a man where he could reestablish in the earth the authority that had been lost. When he could reestablish in the world his word that would regenerate and recuperate and, and, and reclaim and renew and refashion and reaffirm and give hope. That was not available except in, in, in picture form and, and just by faith form because that true faith was not yet in the world. He was waiting for a man and he found that man in Abraham. I don't know. I don't know if Abraham was the first man that God offered that contract to. I don't know that. But I've got to tell you, some, somehow I really question whether he was or not. And the re one of the reasons is that man is man is man. Abraham might have been, I don't know. But it just seems to me that if the first guy that God could have approached would have taken him up on it, then the first world would not have had to have been destroyed. All of it could have gotten done there. But God had to, to find a man that would accept his contract in the world where there was a faith factor that could be involved. And it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And when he bawled into God, you bawled into God. Your faith was there started in seed form. In his, when he accepted that contract, God to, had to have a seed man who would by faith put himself in total submission as secondary to God. That's what he's looking for, a person who will make a sacrifice and say, Lord, everything I am, here, here it is. Everything I've got, here it is. I'll believe you to, to be my tomorrows. I'll believe you to, to feed me tomorrow, to clothe me tomorrow, to put shelter over my head, to take me where I need to go and plant me where I need to be. I'm going to trust you. He, could find, he found the faith man in Abraham. And there was a seed man there. And we were involved in that. And God had to have a seed man whose basic desire was to please the Lord. Abraham exhumed a desire and secreted a desire to please God. And yet he was, he was a person just like you and me. He just had to make a quality decision. In Abraham's accepting God's contract, God's word and God's authority was reestablished in the world for you and for me. A faith people had come into being. But they were powerless. They were powerless to function. Faith, but powerless. But then it says, when the time was just right, Jesus became God's sacrifice for sin, bringing power over sin and over self. And Abraham saw that. That's what he saw in a glimpse when he looked at Calvary. That's how he could say, we're going to go there and we're going to come back to you. Because I believe God. 
Ephesians 5 says, Christ also, also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God. Not for God, but to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That sinless Christ overcoming the world. That gift on Calvary. That slain lamb that was God overcoming the world. Jesus died for our sins so that we don't have to, to die anymore. We don't have to have pain anymore. If we stand on his word, we can have eternal life with God if we just accept him and serve him if we choose to do that. Giving ourselves totally to God. That's what I'm talking about. Paul told us explicitly in Romans 12, we got to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Renewing the mind that you talk to us about. We got, we got to get out of thinking in worldly terms. Get out of thinking in terms of economical terms the way the world thinks in, in the terms of. We, we, we don't, we're not the sacrifice to the world. We are sacrifices unto God. Serving God. How do we prove our sacrifice? We allow ourselves to be sacrificed by yielding to God. Keeping that meekness before men. Placing ourselves in subjection to each other. And that's one of the hardest things to do. Yielding ourselves one to another. Placing ourselves at the, at the, at the orders and commands of another person. Regarding others higher than ourselves. That's difficult to do. That's, that's one of the most ultimate sacrifices to God for those things. Realizing that when we are sacrificing, it's not we who are sacrificing. It is God who is sacrificing us to the world just as he did Jesus. You get that? When you're doing those things I was just talking about, yielding to God, just simply saying, okay, Lord, I believe that what you say is true. I believe you for your word's sake. Maintaining that meek spirit before the world. Placing ourselves in subjection and regarding others in a higher state than ourselves. How many have had fellowship withdrawn from you because they want to associate with you once you became Christian? I lost every friend, every friend I used to think I had. And looking back, I, they weren't they were very much friends anyway. <laughs> Not very many friends at all. But every one of them went away and you find yourself saying, Lord, how lonely is this place? That's your wilderness. That's when God is sacrificing you. When lies are told about you for righteousness' sake. And they'll do that. When the persecutions come, we need to tell the young Christians, don't, don't stray out there. Don't stay away from church. Don't get away from the body of Christ. Tuck yourself in. I know people who won't join themselves to a local fellowship. They're praying and they're seeking God. And I think, come on. Come on. He's here. This is where the covering is. Don't get out there. Don't get out there by yourself. That's where you can get eaten. That's where you can get uh, uh, consumed by the world. That's where the persecutions come at you. When they kill your flesh, 
God is providing a sacrifice to the world when these things happen. When you can stand there and have people defame you and curse you and put all kind of verbal afflictions or physical afflictions on you, and you can stand there, you who used to be warriors who wouldn't take anything from anybody, wouldn't back down an inch, and all of a sudden you find yourself able to stand there and heap that verbal abuse. You're being sacrificed. The Holy Ghost is sacrificing you afresh. Philippians 2 says, If I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Paul says, I understand. I understand what you're doing. When, when you're offering these sacrifices of your faith, when the hard times are coming, I'm fighting the same battle over here. I can witness to brothers and sisters across town or across the country or across the world. I know what they're going through. And you know what they're going through. You know the battles that they're fighting. They're fighting the same battles you are. Satan's trying to steal their families. The same he's trying to steal yours. He's trying to steal their peace of mind, their prosperity. Everything that they have is quality. The same as he's trying to do. He's trying to bring confusion. The same as he's trying to do in your life. But praise God. Praise God. He can't do that. You can rejoice in your salvation, Paul says. You can endure that which you thought was unendurable. You can sustain. You can tolerate what at one time you thought was the intolerable. You can be better than you think you are when God is sacrificing you. You can find peace in the storm in your life because Jesus is offering you as a sweet smelling savor unto God. Every time that happens in your life and you think you've been wounded and you didn't deserve to be wounded, can I tell you as a Christian, you don't ever deserve to be wounded when you're in the righteousness of God. Nobody has the right to come at you and hurt you and wound you when you're a child of God and you're living according to God's precepts, when you are living in righteousness. When that happens in you, you are being sacrificed by the Holy Ghost on God's altar for the world. But when that happens, you don't lose. You gain because every time in God's nostrils that comes up as a sweet, smelling savor unto God. Why did they put in the, in the holy place? Why did they put the, the altar of incense right next to the curtain? Why did they do that? Was that just a place that, that they figured, well, let's just stick it over there? If we think God moves that way and acts that way with that kind of no-nonsense planning, we are missing everything God. God never puts anything of his body or his plan together except he has thought it out and has a purpose. The reason it was put there, because it represented on this side of earth the prayers of the, and the sacrifices of the saints. God wanted to smell it when that priest walks in there and passed the showbread and passed the candlestick and walked up next to that veil and reached and sprinkled those incense on that altar and that fume came up just on that side of the veil was the ark of God and the presence of God would just reach over and sniff that in. When your prayers go up toward God, 
Hallelujah. God just doesn't say, what in the world is that smell? He's, oh, that's one of my children. That's one that the Holy Ghost is sacrificing right now. For Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. It, aren't they wonderful? Look what they're enduring. They're, being, they're all being offered on the throne of God. For Jesus' sake. Don't they, they smell good? Don't they smell good? Don't they smell good? Sweet-smelling savor unto God. Why don't you stand with me and close your eyes? When we decide, and you, close your eyes, please. I don't want, want you looking at me or looking at anybody else. I want you with God. When you and you alone to decide, decide to become God's offering, Christ becomes God's wine to you to make your heart glad. When Christ calms the storm of your life, you are a sacrifice offering unto God. When you decide to be an offering of God, He makes the barren place of your life fruitful. That's what the psalmist said. When you decide to be God's offering, Christ pleads for you, rejoices with you, gives grace to you. In Him, His promises are yea and amen. The writer said, He gives you a positive life, not a negative life. Everything you set your heart to, you can know that it will be an overcoming word and to accomplish because God is offering you up and you are yielding yourself. God's promises are always near to you as God offers you as a sacrifice. God is receiving your sacrifice every day as you yield to Him. God is not sacrificing Jesus anymore. Jesus is not being sacrificed anymore. The prophetic Word of God came to us. He entered once, once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now God is sacrificing you and He's sacrificing me and He's sacrificing the church and Jesus said, you have got to take up daily your cross. And, and the writer to Galatians says, I am crucified daily with Christ. And Jesus said, Take up your cross daily and follow me. Hey, it's never going to get to the place. It's never going to get to the place where everything's going to be hunky-dory. You might as well put it out of your mind. You are a sacrifice to God. Sometimes sacrifices hurt. Sometimes they cause blessings to come. Sometimes they cause peace to come. Sometimes they cause reconciliation to come and regeneration to come. But every time something of life comes, something of, of death has to go. Hallelujah. But through it all, as Abraham looked, he saw the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world that you don't have to be 
He saw the joy of God that was taken away so that yours could be made complete. Father, in Jesus' name, I praise you tonight. I give you glory tonight. I thank you for these words that were given to comfort your saints and to, to, to give wisdom and understanding. And my prayer is that it strengthens and reaffirms and that as Abraham looked ahead and saw Jesus high and lifted up and saw in him all that he could be, even to a causing of a miracle, we look back at Calvary and say, now that he's conquered, as I make my sacrifice, I can be everything that he wants me to be. I can do everything that he wants me to, be, to do. And I can have everything that he says I can have. If you've got a sick body tonight, you step out and come. If you've got a wounded spirit tonight, you step out and come. If you've been trying to get over a hurdle with, with anger against an area, you step out and come. I want you to be free tonight. God wants to offer you a sacrifice one more time. That is strong. You step out and come if you have any needs. In Jesus' name.